0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime. It is your host, Jules, here. Hi! Hello! (laughs) I haven't posted since March. I'm back! Hi! (laughs) Um, Before we get started, I do want to touch up on a couple of things. The first thing is one thing that you can do now as a crime consumer is you can become a supporter of the podcast, which means you can make a monthly donation of as little as 99 cents. That will help sustain future episodes and... Anything helps, honestly, guys. If you are able to do this, then what I can do is I can give you a shout out on the next episode that airs after you become a supporter. On top of that, you will also earn a supporter badge. Now, what is a supporter badge? Well, if you check out the website, consumingcrime.com, you'll notice a login screen. You can now log on or sign up for the website and talk to other crime consumers, including me. Sometimes I join the conversation. Um, but yeah, we talk about, literally, I just started it, so there's not a lot of people in there, um, but you can be one of the first, and you'll also get, it, again, if you're a supporter, you'll get a supporter badge. There are also other types of badges, like everybody that signs up gets a crime consumer badge, and then if you make your first post, you get a deputy badge, and then the more you engage and the longer you engage, you get more badges, like lieutenant, and so on and so on. To check out the badges, go ahead and check out the website consumingcrime.com also make sure you tell your friends about the podcast like us on facebook we are almost at 300 likes sounds like a little but it is a lot to me every single like every single human being that acknowledges that the podcast even exists even if you don't like it it means the absolute world that you're even giving it a chance So, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so, so much for listening. The podcast recently hit over 1,000 unique listeners in the past 30 days, and I'm still having trouble comprehending that number. Like, there's that many of you that listened to my voice in the past 30 days. Not that you all liked me, but still, like, that's a lot of people to hear my voice. Today's episode is the same. It's the same series I'm covering, American Detective with Joe Kenda on Discovery+. Plus. This episode is called had uh, like two horses or something although this whole episode has nothing to do with horses so I named it 30 minutes or murder. The story takes place on January 28th in 1994 in Chincoteague, Virginia. We're at a pizza shop and we, it shows a dramatization of a guy and a girl and the girl's like okay like I'll see you in a bit they kiss and she leaves so they're obviously in a relationship and she's off to deliver pizza. Her name is Tessa Van Hart and this was set also late at night. There was nothing out of the ordinary, every time she delivered a pizza, she would come back. She delivered pizza, she'd come back. And this was a fairly peaceful town, as it usually is, and this is just one of the nights that she did not come back. And her, I believe it's her husband, ended up calling police because he just was worried, it's getting late, where's my wife? So he calls and reports her missing, and officers begin looking immediately, which I appreciate because you guys know sometimes they're like, oh, you gotta wait 24, 48 hours if an adult's missing. Coda, if you don't get down, he's like, I'm gonna play in the blinds while you're recording. I know I don't normally do this, but I can tell that you it to be a quiet place, so I'm just gonna be extra obnoxious today. That's my cat. This is also an island, so they're kind of wondering, okay, how far could she possibly go? We're on an island. They're driving around and the officers spot a car that's running and they walk up to the car and there's no one behind the wheel. This was the pizza delivery car, so obviously this must have been Tessa's car. Officers find something terrifying in the backseat. The documentary is now interviewing a man by the name of Danny Plott. He is a special agent with Virginia State Police in the violent crimes unit. I'm not sure if they just don't have a homicide unit, but maybe that's how peaceful it is. They don't even have a homicide unit. They have a violent crimes unit. So that tells you a lot about murder frequency in this town. He gets a call, and when he gets that call, he is at home, and the calls from his supervisor regarding the case. Danny and his partner arrive on the scene, and they're getting briefed. They find out there was a woman in the backseat, a 23-year-old woman named Tessa Van Hart. Now we're getting the background on her. Tessa was beautiful. She had a very bright future she had two kids two young kids might i add a loving husband and she was the type of person that was quiet at first but once you got to know her she was very special and unique tessa's husband like i mentioned earlier also works at this shop normally i'm the first one that's gonna say it's the husband the husband is sus the husband is suspicious he did this but i i mean he's got an alibi he was at the pizza shop i'm sure there's recording so as of right now i'm not suspecting him at all. Desmond's name is Walter, by the way, and he's also the same man that reported her missing. She was in the back seat with two gunshot wounds to the back of her head. There was not a lot of blood, which tells officers that the bullet must have lodged in her skull somewhere. It wasn't like a through and through. They also noticed grass, dirt, and mud on her knees, which means there is definitely another crime scene. Before I go forward, at some point, guys, we are going to get into, I'm not going to gonna talk about it I'm just gonna kind of go through it really fast but trigger warning we are going to get into sexual assault and talk about that a little bit today they found her purse and there was still money in it that tells officers and it tells us that this person was not trying to rob her this person must have been solely interested in a woman in maybe even her specifically we don't know yet officers go and talk to the husband and this is when they inform him that his wife has passed away. Being interviewed now, he starts talking about her and he says that she was my soulmate and the hardest thing that he had to do was to tell their kids that mommy went to heaven. Tessa's daughter is being interviewed in the documentary. She's older now obviously and she gets told that she looks beautiful just like her mother and that is her favorite compliment. At the pizza shop, the husband was the one in charge of doing the cooking of the pizzas and Tessa was the one that did deliveries. I don't know guys, don't Just if you're a female, even a male, it's just uh, like DoorDash drivers and Uber drivers and everyone doing this stuff at night. Like you guys, this type of stuff is everywhere. Like you could live in Beverly Hills and it's like you never know. Like I just, you know what? Carry pepper spray, but also carry a taser because you can't spray pepper spray if somebody tries to grab you when you're in your car because then you're going to spray yourself. That was a side note. He expected her to come back that night, and as a matter of fact, he thought that something maybe happened to the car, which I think she probably would have called him, but then again, what year was this? 1994. They had phones, I think. Anyway, officers checked the records to see where she was supposed to go, where they had sent her, and they found a slip of paper with the house that she was sent to, the address. They go to this house, and there's nobody in it, all the lights are turned off. They find out that this- or, Not they find out. They think that it's a vacation home, like kind of an Airbnb. It's locked up and it's secure and nothing's happening inside. They do see though that the lights were on next door, and officers figured, okay, if we were Tessa and we're making a delivery here, there's nobody here, I'm gonna try next door. So they go and they knock on the door, and the man answers the door. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Rewind. Before they knocked on the man's door, they noticed. Or they saw small amounts of blood in the grass practically on this person's property i don't know how they saw it I, is it i mean i think it was nighttime these detectives are just good at their job they knock on the door and a man answers and immediately this man is extremely defensive he just seems really irritated he's kind of angry he's like i didn't order a pizza and he doesn't even say that he saw anybody to try to deliver a pizza the officer is immediately suspicious you can be defensive this is what they say you could be defensive but if you're defensive and you have a crime scene in your backyard like that's that's definitely a red flag there's also a storm so it okay the documentary says this and it trips me out they say there's a storm going on so it makes sense if something happens and he didn't hear it are you kidding me this woman was shot in the head and in this dude's backyard how loud can a storm be to where you don't hear a gunshot literally outside of your door? Somebody comment and correct me if I'm if you disagree but I maybe he if they had a silencer maybe but like seriously I don't know I don't I've never lived in Virginia but that sounds really unlikely sir. The officer suggested a polygraph and he said, all right, if I take the polygraph test and I pass it, will you leave me alone? He just could not wait to be cleared. He was very confident he had nothing to do with this. I believe him. I kind of believe him. I mean, I wouldn't be irritated if I was being questioned. I'd be like, oh, what's going on? Because I'm so freaking nosy. Um, But I, I don't think this dude had anything to do with it at this point. So they knew she was murdered in the cold and in the rain. Because of this, any physical evidence was most likely damaged, but they're obviously going to do their collecting anyway. Officers decided to call in a dog to start sniffing around. This dog, his tell that, hey, something suspicious over here is to sit. So he walks around and he sits in a specific area, and in this area is where they find a 22 caliber shell casing. So of course, they collect it. If they find the weapon it belongs to, they can link this to the killer. They took this man to headquarters which was about two hours away i wonder if that's where they came from and if they could have just taken him to the station but maybe this is like a tactic or they were being petty because he was being a douche i don't know but he's in the car for like two hours before he even gets to take the polygraph he says he knows nothing he takes the polygraph and he passes solid a there is no sign of deception this lead Obviously evaporates after that and now we are back at square one. I don't know that a polygraph would necessarily clear him But the documentary talks about what they want to talk about so before he leaves they ask him What do you know about the house next door? He says oh, they're always gone. They also don't rent it out either They just they're just never at the house. So it's not an Airbnb now. We're looking at the autopsy report. She was beaten She had been so this is where we get into the sexual assault details. So if you don't want to hear it, you could skip forward at, at like a, about 30 seconds. I'll try to go through it fast. She was beaten in the face and in the chest. She was either punched or she was kicked, one or the other. She was also sodomized, and the way they found out is because they found seminal fluid. Let's continue with the details. She had died from one or two gunshot wounds to the head, both from a 22 caliber gun. The killer it can, they can tell now that the killer planned this. Was he obsessed with her? Was he stalking her? Was she obsessed with her? Was she stalking her? We don't know if it's a girl or a guy. <laughs> Remember that. So now we find out. Officers go to the pizza shop and start talking to the employees. The girl that took the call felt so, so guilty. And I don't blame her. She felt so guilty for being the one to send her out. Officer said, what did the man sound like? Or, you know, what did they sound like? And she's like, he just sounded like everybody else that calls. Did he sound like a smoker? And she just didn't know anything. Um, Did he ask for her specifically? That's actually a question I wrote in my notes um, for myself. Like, I am curious. Did he ask for her specifically? It doesn't seem like he asked for her specifically, but he also knew that she was one of the main people that delivered late night because everybody else would go home. Maybe because her and her husband would lock up, something like that. Officers stopped talking to the female drivers. Did you ever go somewhere that someone creeped you out? And one lady said yes. One man was a little bit off, and one time he even offered for her to come inside, and he just gave her the creeps. What if this man calls all the time? Is he wanting a victim delivered? The documentary asks. Trying to sound suspicious. Is it working? This man is named Matthew Birch, and he is a U.S. Coast Guard. Officers say they didn't want to get tunnel vision, which I appreciate so much because of how much we have talked about officers that get tunnel vision, where they see somebody and they just, they want them to fit in a box so badly that they start using illegal tactics to get this person to confess or just get a guilty verdict, um, but that's not what happens. The officers make a point to not do that. They go to the coast station and talk to Matthew. He seemed really nervous at first and didn't make much eye contact which is definitely suspicious guys they didn't want him to realize yet that he was a suspect which i asked how would he not know he was a suspect you're literally police officers going to his house asking him about a recent murder okay they say do you like to order pizza did you ever offer for them to come in and he casually is like yeah i've offered to share I've offered like, you want to come inside and share the pizza, which doesn't sound that off. It's just like, know that you're an older dude, maybe don't do that to young girls, but it doesn't seem weird to me at least. Have you ever offered Tessa specifically? Yeah, probably. The more questions officers ask, the more defensive he would get, and he is starting to realize they are suspicious of him. He says on that night, he was out of town and provides receipts of credit card transactions away from the island that night this unfortunately removes him as a suspect does it though can we talk about this for a second does it though like if you wanted to kill somebody couldn't you like give another person your credit card and be like hey go to like san francisco and like spend some money with my name on it i don't think that clears him well, let's continue. They brought in agents to run down leads and conduct interviews throughout the island. So this is, again, a very small town. They're literally just like, what is it, cold calling? But for murder investigations, they're just asking, talking to every single person that they possibly can. They canvassed every single resident, and they even talked to an ex of the husband at one point. But nothing was there. Forensics came back for Tessa's car. It didn't give them enough for a new lead, and officers were frustrated they're like damn it just when you say oh new results back and then there's like nothing the pressure was on their people were terrified is this just the beginning is this person going to keep killing is this a potential serial killer what's going to happen and before no one really locked their doors and now they do lock your doors lock your doors lock your doors i cannot say that enough (laughs) i don't mean to be obnoxious but like for the love of everything, please lock your doors. I don't understand when well, people don't, just do it. Tessa's family is getting extremely anxious, they're calling the station, nobody has an answer for them and they just wanna know what happened. Walter, the husband, ends up stepping up as a father to his two little ones. Obviously, I did not doubt Walter for a second and this case eventually, this is really unfortunate, eventually turns to inactive, which I believe is the equivalent of cold. So inactive awaiting further leaves two years pass and in this two years officer plot gets transferred to a different unit and after some time he is presented with some new, information. He's got some new information but is it gonna lead somewhere we'll find out he gets a phone call and it is a lead on tessa's murder the phone calls from a man named brian cherix he's an inmate being charged in a number of crimes And he says, a confession was made to him in the murder of Tessa Van Hart. Was it? Brian wants some leniency. In exchange for information, Brian wants some leniency in his current charges, which is very common for inmates to do this. Officers go and see him in person. Now, Joe Kenda, which remember, this is American Detective with Joe Kenda, so he gives his take on certain things. He says that his approach is to tell the inmate, you have less than one minute to tell me something I do not know, and if you can't you're no use to me and you can rot in here. I don't know that the officers here did that, but that's a good note. He tells officers that his cousin Ryan Bergman told him all about it. He said he lured her to deliver a pizza, grabbed her, trigger warning, sodomized her, and then shot her with a 22 rifle. The rifle wasn't revealed to the press yet, so this is promising. Which, like, the somebody, I, I put in my notes, somebody calls him amazing. Like, he's amazing for knowing information. F*** him. It's like, bleep that out, Joel. but you know you like to cuss. He's still, like, in prison for other stuff. No. The cousin tossed the rifle in a body of water that only he knew where it was. Him being the cousin, Ryan. Ryan. Okay, I got confused when taking notes, so bear with me, guys. The man that called officers is Brian, and the man that supposedly killed Tessa is... Ryan. I'll try to remind you guys again because I I forget to. Where is Ryan? Well, Brian tells officers, oh, he's dead. He was killed in a car wreck last year. Like, come on. Come on. You guys are seeing what's happening, right? I'm not going to spoil it, but you guys are seeing what's happening, right? Police call on the dive team and go to the area where the weapon was thrown. They looked everywhere and they could not they could not find it did the killer come back and get it like where the hell is it so they go back to Brian and he says okay I will show you exactly where it is they take him to that area he points somewhere the dive team checks and within minutes they find it you guys seeing it yet you seeing it I can't be annoying can they test it for ballistics yes they can unfortunately the serial number was not readable but they did track the shell casing that was found at the crime scene to that gun which means this gun ties whoever owns it to the murderer they go and talk to brian's ex-wife she also knew the cousin ryan the one who died they go and speak to her and she says i don't think ryan would ever do that he was so gentle and he was so nice and she says he wasn't even on the island when she got that's weird. Officers say, well, how do you know that? And she says, I remember Brian talking on the phone about it with him the next day. Before this, to officers, Brian wasn't even a suspect. I don't believe that. I hope the documentary is like lying to me because there's no way officers didn't think he was suspicious. There's no way. They ask about and they say, did Brian own any weapons? And she says, yes, he owned a rifle. I think it was a twenty two. Officer Plot pulls out a picture and says, does this gun look familiar? She says, yeah, yeah, that is his. Like, Are you sure? She's like, yeah, that's definitely his gun. So now we know who committed this crime. They just have to get him to admit it. They go back to Brian and he is sticking to a story. I already told you where he threw it. I already told you where this, I already told you this. I already told you where I tossed it. He keeps flipping from him to I, from Ryan to me. So obviously he did it. And then eventually, eventually he says, fine, F it. I did it. Officers suspect that he came forward with it because he wanted kind of like the pride and like the ego of letting officers know like oh haha like i got away with this for as long as i did this is his story the way he puts it he would order pizzas from that shop knowing that she delivered late at night and the first couple times it was relatively normal he just thought she was really pretty and he would tip her like twenty dollars here and there and then one day the deliveries weren't good enough and he became obsessed with her. He planned to lure her to this abandoned home and he was waiting behind the chimney with the rifle. She sees the house with the light on and she starts walking over there. He can now attack her from behind. He tries to talk to her and she's immediately freaked out. He forces her to the ground, assaults her, then shoots her. After the first shot, she moved so he shot her again. And then I put in my notes in all caps like that guy in the house didn't hear you, what the like? You hear a gunshot, oh my god. He drags her back to the car, puts her in the backseat, and then drives somewhere to abandon the car and tosses the gun in the water. In that spot, he said, only he knew where it was. When he confessed, he didn't really care all that much. He was kind of a douche about it, which is how they usually are. And he is sentenced to death. In 2004, he was put to death by lethal injection. That is the case, guys. Rest in peace, Tessa Van Hart. I never know where to go after this. I'm usually like, Uh, awkward my notes are over let me know what you guys think did you guys know it was brian did you think it was brian did you get brian and ryan views like i did um yeah let me know if you'd like you can become a supporter that is a new feature that the website now has go to consumingcrime.com click the button become a supporter you can donate as little as a dollar a month to support the podcast and future episodes as well as getting a shout out at the end of the episode aired after you become a supporter on top of that you get a supporter badge what is a badge badges are things that you can earn when you join the website consumingcrime.com you can now sign up talk in the forum talk in discussions talk about your crime with other crime consumers as soon as you sign up you get a crime consumer badge as soon as you make your first post you get a deputy badge there's other badges that you get based on how much you engage and how long you engage for it's really good we just started there's only a couple of us so i would definitely join while there's not that many so that many <laughs> while there's not that many of us that way i get a chance to get in there and talk to you guys personally tell your friends about the podcast like us on facebook we're almost at 300 likes it's small but it's big for me <laughs> and thank you again for 1,000 unique devices in the past 30 days across all platforms that is sick oh uh, Anyway, thank you for consuming crime with me. You will hear me next week.